Tonight, God's Word comes to us from the Old Testament prophet Nahum. We're going to be reading the 15 verses of Nahum chapter 1. Nahum chapter 1, beginning at verse 1. We hear now is God's Word. An oracle concerning Nineveh, the book of the vision of Nahum of Elkosh. The Lord is a jealous and avenging God. The Lord is avenging and wrathful. The Lord takes vengeance on his adversaries and keeps wrath for his enemies. The Lord is slow to anger and great in power. And the Lord will by no means clear the guilty. His way is in the whirlwind and storm, and the clouds are the dust of his feet. He rebukes the sea and makes it dry. He dries up all the rivers. Bashan and Carmel wither. The bloom of Lebanon withers. The mountains quake before him. The hills melt. The earth heaves before him, the world and all who dwell in it. Who can stand before his indignation? Who can endure the heat of his anger? His wrath is poured out like fire, and the rocks are broken into pieces by him. The Lord is good, a stronghold in the day of trouble. He knows those who take refuge in him. But with an overflowing flood... He will make a complete end of the adversaries and will pursue his enemies into darkness. What do you plot against the Lord? He will make a complete end. Trouble will not rise up a second time. For they are like entangled thorns, like drunkards as they drink. They are consumed like stubble, fully dried. From you come one who plotted evil against the Lord a worthless counselor. Thus says the Lord, though they are at full strength and many, they will be cut down and pass away. Though I have afflicted you, I will afflict you no more. And now I will break his yoke from off you and will burst your bonds apart. The Lord has given commandment about you. No more shall your name be perpetuated. From the house of your gods, I will cut off the carved image and the metal image. I will make your grave, for you are vile. Behold, upon the mountains, the feet of him who brings good news, who publishes peace. Keep your feasts, O Judah, fulfill your vows, for never again shall the worthless pass through you. He is utterly cut off. Here we end the reading of God's holy word. Well, tonight we are up to the prophet Nahum. When we got to Obadiah a couple weeks ago, I suggested that was probably one of the least well-known of the minor prophets. If that was the least well-known, I think Nahum is the second least well-known. Not many times we're turning to the prophet Nahum for devotions. We are halfway through our series on the Minor Prophets. And I told you at the beginning, the prophets are are not strictly chronological. 
But yet, there is some order in the way we have them arranged in Scripture. The first six, the ones we have studied so far, their ministry ranges from about 850 B.C. to about 735 B.C., kind of round numbers, about 850 to 735 B.C. So when we finished Micah last time, that's where we were at about 735. When we turn the page from Micah to Nahum, about a hundred years have passed. Nahum's prophecy is in about 630. So a hundred years have gone by since our last sermon on the Minor Prophets. In fact, you can kind of think of these three, Nahum and Habakkuk and Zephaniah, kind of as a package. They all do their ministry in the early 600s, about 630 down to 600 or so. These three prophets, about the same time frame. Our, Our text begins, an oracle concerning Nineveh. Now remember, kids, we talked about Nineveh before. We talked about Nineveh when we talked about Jonah. In fact, if you wanted to, you could sort of think of the book of Nahum is kind of like Jonah part two. This is the rest of the story. An oracle concerning Nineveh. Now, kids, I've tried to give you along this series things to help you remember what the prophets are about. And I guess this one is very, very simple. Nahum is the only minor prophet that starts with N. And he talks about Nineveh. So when you think about Nahum, think about the letter N. What is Nahum about? It's an oracle about Nineveh. But over a hundred years, since the story of Jonah. In the story of Jonah, Jonah came with that message and Nineveh repented of their wickedness and God relented at that time from sending the disaster he had warned them about. Now, a hundred years later, we can see by looking at their history that their repentance was not heartfelt, Their repentance was short-lived. And Nineveh grew and became more powerful, and as it became more powerful, it also became more wicked. Nineveh was the leading city in Assyria. Assyria, whose kingdom was the epitome of wickedness. When you read the accounts of how they dealt with those whom they conquered, they are terrible in the way they would destroy other civilizations. And so in Nahum, in Nahum we get a message of God's judgment. Now his final judgment against Nineveh. You might remember, Nineveh was a great city. A huge city. A city that it took three days to walk through. A city that was surrounded by a wall, but not just any wall, a wall that was so wide 
You could take three chariots and put them side by side and ride around the top of that wall. And as if that wasn't strong enough for them, Nineveh is surrounded by a moat. A moat that is 40 feet wide and 60 feet deep. And Nineveh felt secure. They were powerful. They were mighty. A mighty city in Assyria. Powerful and terribly, terribly wicked. And so now, 100 years later, the prophet Nahum has an oracle concerning Nineveh. And God will come once again with a demonstration of his wrath and of his judgment. I have to say, dealing with this text uh, this past week, uh, Nineveh is a difficult book. I'm sorry, Nahum's a difficult book. Not because the message is so difficult. The message is actually very, very simple. God judges the wicked. But what I find so troubling about Nahum is that it highlights attributes of God we don't often like to think about. Look what he says in verse 2. The Lord is jealous and avenging God. The Lord is avenging and wrathful. The Lord takes vengeance on his adversaries and keeps his wrath for his enemies. It's not a very uplifting verse. That's not God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. It's a difficult book. It's a hard book because it reminds us of some attributes of God we don't often think about. We love to think about God's love, His mercy, His compassion, His kindness, His grace, all of these things. But we have to hear the full counsel of who God is. Yes, He is merciful and gracious and loving and kind, but He is also a God of wrath, a God of vengeance, a God who is jealous a God who is angry. And what I find so interesting about Nahum is that he seems to move back and forth between these difficult attributes about God and the more pleasing attributes about God. And we'll look at that as we go through chapter 1 together. Yes, God is, is a vengeful God toward Nineveh. But the text also shows us God's goodness toward his people, Israel. Nineveh, a city where God would bring his judgment, vengeance toward them. Verse 3, the Lord is slow to anger and great in power. God was going to come to Nineveh in judgment. But remember, it's been 100 years since he came to them earlier. No one can suggest that God's anger, that God's judgment is uh, capricious, that God just flies off the handle. God is patient. God does wait. A hundred years he waits. And yet the sin of Nineveh, rather than turning to God wholeheartedly, the sin of Nineveh grows. As they grow in power, 
The Lord is slow to anger. No one can claim he's coming too quickly to judge. But the Lord will by no means clear the guilty. Nineveh demonstrated themselves not to have a true heartfelt repentance. And although God was patient with them, a hundred years later, he does come with this final word of judgment. And the prophet Nahum gives us pictures of the power of God in judgment. Pictures that come from creation. Look at the last half of verse 3. His way is in the whirlwind and storm, and the clouds are the dust of his feet. God's power is like the whirlwind. God's power is like the storm. Now, I know that uh, out here, uh, we don't tend to get uh, tornadoes uh, very often, but back in the Midwest, it was not all that uncommon. I remember one afternoon particularly, uh, where about three in the afternoon or so, the tornado siren went off in town. And of course, you're supposed to seek shelter, because that means a tornado is coming, it's here. And after that tornado had gone through, uh, getting in the car and driving around Sioux Center, and seeing the aftermath. And huge trees that had been growing strong for over a hundred years by the power of the wind suddenly uprooted, picked up and dropped someplace else. The power of the wind and the tornado. And Nahum says, that's what God is like. That type of great power. His way is in the whirlwind and the storm, and the clouds are the dust of his feet. He says in verse 4, he rebukes the sea and makes it dry. He dries up all the rivers. In the poetry of the time, the sea and water were often a picture of chaos, of turmoil, of those who would try to, to revolt against God. And these powers, these powerful waves, are nothing compared to the power of God. I mean, think of it. When we go out to, uh, to Huntington Beach, uh, maybe you want to go boogie board in the water, and every once in a while, you know, a wave will come and just dump you, just put you under. That power pales in comparison to the power of God. What does he say? He rebukes the sea, and he makes it dry. He dries up all the rivers. This power, even of the water, is nothing Compared to the power of God, he dries them up. Verse 4, Bashan and Carmel wither, the bloom of Lebanon withers. Bashan, Carmel, Lebanon, all these places known for being green and lush and beautiful. These were the garden spots in the land. And yet when God comes, Bashan and Carmel and Lebanon wither his power to destroy. We read in verse 5, the mountains quake before him, the hills melt, the earth heaves before him, the world and all who dwell in it. Earthquakes. Oh, we know about those out here. We know about earthquakes. In fact, it was just uh, three years ago, this weekend, 7.1 earthquake up in Ridgecrest. Maybe you remember feeling that. And, uh, you know, those earthquakes, the small ones come through, you don't really think about it. Oh, I hear it, oh, rolls by, that's it. But when a bigger one comes, 
and you feel the initial shake, and I remember, I remember this, I was sitting at my desk working, feel the initial shake, and you go, okay, well, made it through that, and then the second wave came, just a little bit stronger, you go, whoa, whoa, this is serious. When even the ground is shaking, what do you hold on to for security? Utter helplessness before the power of the earthquake and this picture of the power of God coming in judgment. Verse 6, who can stand before his indignation? Who can endure the heat of his anger? His wrath is poured out like fire and the rocks are broken into pieces by him. God comes with total destruction. He does not relent. He will come once again to judge those who were opposed to him and opposed to his people. And that judgment will be complete. Look at verse 8. But with an overflowing flood, he will make a complete end of the adversaries. He will pursue his enemies into darkness. What do you plot against the Lord? He will make a complete end. Trouble will not rise up a second time. Nineveh would come and God would come in judgment and it would be completely destroyed. Now we know that shortly after this prophecy, in 612 BC, Nineveh as a city fell and only a few years later in 605 BC, Assyria as a nation was sacked and overrun. When Nineveh was destroyed, the destruction was so complete that when in the, uh, in the early Middle Ages they began to look for remnants of Nineveh, none could be found. It would not be until the mid-1800s, 2,000 years later, that they think they might have found where Nineveh was located. So complete was the destruction brought on by God. Terrible, dreadful, hard, hard pictures to get our brain around. The Lord is a jealous and avenging God. The Lord is avenging and wrathful. He takes vengeance on his adversaries. Yes, that is the character of God toward those who stand opposed to Him. But this same God, this very same God, is also filled with goodness for His people. Look in verse 7. The Lord is good, a stronghold in the day of trouble. He knows those who take refuge in Him. We hear the echoes of Psalm 46. God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. God as a refuge for His people. That same might, that same power that would come to destroy God's enemies, He uses to protect His own. A refuge, a strength, an ever-present help. We can flee to Him. And like a powerful fortress, he protects us from the enemies. God's goodness as a stronghold for his people. Look at verse 12. 
Thus says the Lord, speaking now to Israel, Though they are at full strength and many, they will be cut down and pass away. Though I have afflicted you, I will afflict you no more. And now I will break his yoke from off you and will burst your bonds apart. Yes, God had used the Assyrians to come against his people, but they now themselves would be overrun. Now the oppressor would be oppressed and punished. And in the process, Israel set free. I will break his yoke from off of you. I will burst your bonds apart. God, the one who is the fortress for his people. God, the one who frees his people. God, the one who is their great liberator. Yes, the destruction would come to Nineveh, but toward God's people, a great and complete redemption. Look at verse 15, this last verse of our text in the English Bible. Behold upon the mountains the feet of him who brings good news and who publishes peace. Same God. Same God as we've been talking about. The one who brings good news and publishes peace. Of course, once again, we hear the echoes. The echoes of Isaiah 52. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who publishes peace, who brings good news of happiness, who publishes salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. The voice of your watchmen, they lift up their voice. Together they sing for joy. For eye to eye they see the return of the Lord to Zion. Break forth together into singing, you waste places of Jerusalem. For the Lord has comforted his people. He has redeemed Jerusalem. The Lord has bared his holy arm before the eyes of all the nations. And all the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our God. Yes, he is a great God who comes with judgment on his enemies. But he is also a God who comforts his people. A God of comfort. In this book of Nahum, an oracle concerning Nineveh, we have the words given to the prophet. The prophet Nahum, whose name itself means comfort. This word of vengeance upon God's enemies is a comfort for God's people. This word of goodness toward Israel is a comfort for God's people. Yes, there will be vengeance upon the enemies, but goodness to the people of God. And of course, we know that Nahum, while speaking directly to Nineveh, also speaks beyond their current circumstance speaks beyond to, to one who will come and give true comfort to the people of God. Nahum points us past Nineveh and points us on to the work of Jesus Christ, who will come to be the Prince of Peace, who will rule in righteousness and justice, who will bring peace between God and man, our comfort, our hope. And when he comes again, 
When Jesus comes in that great second coming and returns as the conquering king and his kingdom is consummated, we will have the final and complete destruction of all of God's enemies. What a comfort for the believer. We just sang, although the wrong seems oft so strong, God is the ruler yet. A beautiful book about the fullness of God revealing who he is. And so chapter 1 concludes, Keep your feasts, O Judah, fulfill your vows, for never again shall the worthless pass through you. He is utterly cut off. Keep your feasts, fulfill your vows, celebrate, celebrate who God is and what he does. He is the God who will come to judge the living and the dead, and every foe that opposes him will be sent off to complete and utter destruction. But for all, for all who have found their comfort and their peace in Jesus Christ, it will be unending blessing and goodness for the people of God. Nahum so beautifully melds together these attributes of God that we tend to separate. His wrath toward his enemies, but his blessing and peace upon his people. And Nahum, as he does this, reminds us, those are the only two options. Where will we find ourselves on that final judgment day? Will will we be those who have grown strong, powerful, in worldly ways and in wickedness? And God's righteous judgment will come down upon us for eternity? Or will we find ourselves in our comforter, in Jesus Christ, placing our, our faith and hope and trust in Him and knowing a peace between God and man. And we will not fear. We will not fear the final judgment. And so God calls you once again tonight. Do not attempt to face his wrath alone. He is a jealous and avenging God. The Lord takes vengeance on his adversaries. He keeps wrath for his enemies. But he is also the God who is good a stronghold in the day of trouble. He knows those who take refuge in him. Have you taken your refuge in Jesus Christ? Do you know him as your Lord and Savior and Comforter? Oh, may God use this word, this, this, this difficult word, to call us to himself and to remind us while, that while there will be judgment upon God's enemies, There'll be goodness and blessing for all who are found in him. Let's join together in prayer. Lord our God, we do thank you for your holy word. The words of the prophets. The words which perhaps we tend to overlook at times. Not turning to these small, somewhat obscure books in the back of the Old Testament. And yet here, once again, O God, we see the beauty of who you are. For 
in all of your perfections. You are perfect, perfect in every way. We praise you that you are a God of vengeance and judgment. We praise you that you are a God of mercy and compassion and grace. Lord, may this text from Nahum tonight about Nineveh remind us that when we face the final judgment, we have nothing to fear if we are found in you. Lord God, may that be our refuge and our strength and our comfort. Hear us, for Jesus' sake. Amen.